to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Welcome to episode 94 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Dave Sharkey. Dave is an Irishman who trained as an English teacher in London and has been working and coaching in the UK for the past 12 years. He currently coaches at HACRFC and hosts a blog titled The Great White Sharky, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Dave. Thanks very much for having me. It's a it's an honor to be on. I've been listening to your podcast for uh, for quite some time, and it's been a big part of my uh, learning journey. So yeah, to be asked on is a bit surreal, to be honest. Awesome. I appreciate it. Um, firstly, the the the... I'll get to my usual intro questions in a minute, but the uh, the blog title, the Great White Sharky, possibly the the best blog uh, handle in the uh, interwebs, is my uh, my vote. Yeah, it's uh, it's been. Uh, I've gotten a few comments about it. A few people have said, like, is it some sort of alt right white supremacist <laughs> uh, supremacist group? It's not. It's really no, not. It's just a play yeah. on my name, of course. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, coming from a surfing background, I, I respect uh, the Great Whites. So uh, great job. <laughs> Good stuff. So, what about you? What's your what's your backstory with uh, with playing uh, and picking up the game initially over in Ireland? So, yeah, I'm I'm from a I'm from a small town in the middle of Ireland called Mullingar, and back when when I was a kid, Gaelic football was the big thing in my family. So, mm. I grew up playing that, and I had no interest in playing rugby whatsoever. My older brother Ronan had uh, had been coaxed to play rugby, and my dad tried to make me follow suit. Um, and I was having none of it. So he kind of gave me a, a fairly straightforward option. He said, you can you can try it rugby. And I was like, nope. And he goes, or you can give Irish dancing a go. Um, and being <laughs> being as nice belligerent and stubborn strategy. as I am, I went for Irish dancing. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I only lasted, I only lasted about a week or two uh, and then in floods of tears, I was like, right, come on, let's give this rugby, uh, <laughs> gave, gave, gave a crack. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no. So I, I got into got into rugby there in Mullingar. Uh, absolutely loved it. And, and as a sort of big kid, uh, I realised that I was <laughs> I was probably way more disposed to playing rugby than I was Gaelic football. Mm. Uh, you know, the skills would be similar to kind of AFL in, in some of the the way in which they they kind of kick and control the ball. But yeah, no, I was I was about tackling and carrying and running with the ball. Uh, so so that's how I got into rugby. I went to a rugby school then uh, for secondary, um, Clongoeswood College, um, mm. about yeah, about thirty miles outside of uh, outside of Dublin, and it was it's such a big rugby school, and because it's boarding twenty four seven, we just played, you know, all year round. Uh, you know, there was big cup competitions that we were sort of spent, you know, seven out of nine months of the year getting ready for, uh, and not always doing <laughs> particularly well in those cup competitions. But yeah, yeah it was it, you know. Rugby was uh, was obviously something that as soon as I started in Mullingar and carried on school that I was just mad about. Um, so yeah, it, it's always been something that I've been hugely passionate about and really, really enjoyed. Yeah, that that school rugby in that Leinster area is just out of control. It's it's so strong. It, it is, and it's um, it's going from strength to strength. To be honest, mm. uh, a, a lot of schools 
that weren't so strong when I was uh, in Clongos, like St. Michael's, are now mm-hmm. the kind of powerhouses. And they're down yeah. the road from Black Rock, who are also a big powerhouse. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're just feeding into the Leinster uh, system, which is mm. which is great. Uh, but I actually think it's, it's creating a bit of a glut uh, of talent kind of building mm. up that I think... Yeah. Some of those boys need to go to France or England if they want to play pro rugby. If they don't, obviously that that's that, that that's grand. But there's a lot of good mm. players coming out of that system. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. What about what about coaching? What were your first coaching experiences like? So after I left Clongos, I had the option of going into uh, to UCD, um, uh, sorry, University College Dublin. Mm-hmm. Uh, to play rugby there, like in a, in, in a, in a fairly strong uh, under twenty side there, um, right. and I played I played some rep rugby in school uh, as well in terms of Leinster schoolboys. So there was this kind of idea that maybe I I kind of go in and I I go into UCD and see what happens or, or whatnot. But there was also an offer to go to Australia, uh, and the the two thousand and three World Cup was rolling around, and I was an eighteen nineteen year old going. That sounds like fun. So mm. I ended up in uh, in Joey's in Sydney. Uh, and that was my first ever coaching experience. I hadn't coached in uh, in Ireland before, and I got now I got given this might sound like a, a great accolade, but the boys who I coached, uh, who I was out there with, will understand this. That I was given the sixth, uh, the sixth fifteen uh, in Joey's uh, to coach, right? And people are going six fifteen. That's nothing. There was twelve or thirteen, you know. Opens mm. teams in uh, in Joey's, uh, yeah, and all yeah. all the other boys who I coach with, the English lads who I coach with, were given the thirteen Fs uh, and whatnot. <laughs> so the fact that I was given like you know older kids uh, and that they were a senior team and it was the six, you know, was pretty good going. So that was my that was me dipping my toe, I suppose, into coaching for the first time. Mm. And so, so what did you do with them? I did exactly what I had uh, had done to me, uh, <laughs> yeah. like we all kind of do. Yeah, uh, a lot, of, a lot of barking, uh, a lot of shouting, mm. um, a lot of yeah, fire and brimstone stuff. And mm. um, I remember, and I shudder at this thought. I remember offering uh, one of the lads a twenty dollar bill uh, for whoever put in the biggest hit. Uh, you know, in our in our you know our rival game against uh, against someone, and twenty dollars back then could you know could get you probably more than two or three beers uh mm, <laughs> so yeah. the yeah there were there, there was a lot of uh, a lot of scrapping or, or what for that so yeah. yeah i'm glad to say that's a that's a chapter uh of my coaching that i i no longer quite recognize which is good <laughs> yeah we've all gonna we've all gonna have those moments so otherwise you you just keep doing it and if you're not if you're not reflecting on it and and turning the mirror inwards uh there's no growth at all and uh so you know, strike that up as a a, a, a cringeworthy but uh, learning memory. It it was definitely um, so. When I went back home to Ireland, I ended up coaching while I was at while I was in college with with a good mate of mine, uh, Gab Murphy. The two of us worked in uh, CUS in Dublin, and uh, they weren't really a rugby school. Mm. Um, and, and we we'd come from a rugby school, and we were sort of asked to come in and do some coaching with them, and. Uh, I kind of I followed in the same vein, uh, but I remember being kind of challenged by because we coached all different age groups that mm. it was definitely a kind of different sort of challenge. And I was beginning, I suppose, to think, hang on, is this the best way to do it or whatnot? But if I look back at that time, I can't there's three kind of words, I suppose, that stand out to me in terms of coaching and what I thought coaching was. Mm. what I was doing and maybe what I was seeing other people around me doing. And that was like it was about volume. So it was about big reps and yeah. 
who's kind of like who can do it the most or who you know that 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 was a, a huge part of it it was about certainty you had to be you know uh so clear in what you believed or believe in yourself that you were so mm. certain in what you were saying and mm. probably the last one uh and it's interesting to see where i've come with this is the last thing i, I the best way i could probably describe this is peacocking uh, is the idea that like it was a lot of men sort of you know suggesting that they had it their way and it was right and whoever mm. shouted loudest or whoever did it the most in terms of the you know got through the reps or, or made people you know suffer the most or whatnot uh that was what i saw and that's what i was replicating uh, mm. and i was following yeah now i had a I had a good mate of mine on the podcast dave morrow he's a ex-army canadian uh, army did a tour of afghanistan and he refers to it as uh, instead of leadership, he calls it loudership, and uh, it's a it's a pretty pretty accurate description. It's, I'd say so, and I, I I certainly fell into that trap 100. Mm. percent And so, how did you how did you get out of that trap? How did you how did you change? How did you evolve? Were there key moments, or was it a gradual uh, switch? Now you, you're not going to believe me, and your listeners will think this is some sort of setup. But to be honest, my probable change and moving away from that happened at a time when I was listening to Rusty on uh, the Coach's uh, Corner uh, podcast. So mm-hmm. I don't know, that's back. Is that 2016 maybe? Yeah, that would have been. So he's been on twice actually. So yeah. um, It was the first time I think he was on. I'm right, sure. okay. Yeah, that was a massive one for me too. It, it was it was just more so that there was a different way from what I was seeing uh, mm. of how, I, how how to coach. And, you know, it was more so – Rusty was doing something quite different. And then, you know, there were other, there was other avenues and you were having people on, there was other things going on that suggested, hang on, you could do this different. This doesn't have to look like it it has. Mm. But it also coincided, I suppose, Andy, with um, a time in my own career as a teacher where I was trying to develop as a teacher. Mm. And I'd, I'd spent a lot of time trying to develop that. And then I kind of was like, I was getting really excited about coaching. And then I wanted to develop in that area. So there was definitely... And I'm certainly not the only one if we think about what's happened to sort of coach education informally, I suppose, over the last few years is that a lot of coaches were sort of desperate to sort of, you know, improve and to learn and to, to soak up again. That's information. why I started the podcast. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I, selfishly. And, yeah. And I think I think it's just, it's definitely something that I, I, you know, I'd found this resource, your resource, and then there was someone in the UK who was talking in this vein like Rusty and he'd set up the Magic Academy the early days of that mm. and you're suddenly already into a community of people who are yeah. asking questions and it's not that as I said the things of volume and certainty and peacock it, it, it's far less of that or yeah. you know uh, than I'd experienced before so that that's I suppose set me on that journey which then to get qualifications and sort of uh, connect with other people uh, that's been pretty exciting to be honest. Oh, cool, cool. And what about now? What's uh, well? Firstly, I'm, I'm stoked that uh, the the pod had uh, had a, a little hand in that because um, definitely, um, you know, shout out to Rusty. That was that was definitely in my uh, some of the most influenced uh, or influential uh, episodes that I've done. So uh, stoked that that had results for you there. And what, what about now? What's your what's your coaching look like now with uh, HAC RFC? Yeah. So as a teacher, I spent almost. Uh, even since Joey's, like I was always coaching school kids. Um, you know, I didn't coach in a club. Um, you know, it was always school kids. And that mm-hmm. comes with the sense of 
because I was a teacher at those schools, it always came with a, a different sort of edge to it. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, the HAC who I coach with now is, is a men's club in London. Um, and it's a, it is, it is technically, again, it's connected to uh, to the Army. So it's the Honourable Artillery Company, uh, so right. the HAC. Um, but again, the Army aren't necessarily, we kind of use their uh, their grounds or whatnot. And again, you know, your listeners should definitely Google uh, HAC, RFC, and go to images. And you'll see, again, in the city of London, uh, the gherkins in the background, you know, the oh. all the high-rise. And then this, um, this pitch is sort of in the middle, surrounded by skyscrapers. It's an incredible setting. And we use uh, the HAC, uh, we use their kind of um, armory house, which is kind of like their mess hall and uh, their barracks and whatnot, as our sort of clubhouse. Uh, wow. So cool. it's a pretty cool setup. But how did how did an Irishman find his way into a sort of a, a British army uh, <laughs> uh, officer's mess? Uh, and more to the point, how does your family feel about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely get a few uh, few royal looks. People are like, hang on, what? Sorry, what? <laughs> Uh, I don't always explain what the acronym means and I kind of get away with it. Um, But yeah, so um, on this kind of journey, you know, uh, triggered by yourself and Rusty years ago, I was kind of going through some qualifications and I got my, what was a a level two award and then my level three, um, which is a year long RFU um, Mm. program. As part of that, I kind of connected with the coach Reese Davies in the RFU and Reese, um, Reese was running a course and I was on at a CPD uh, and I just said to him, listen, I'm, I'm applying for my level three and who do you coach with? And he, he was coaching with the HAC. So we sort of kept in touch. And then a couple of months later, he asked, listen, do you want, I, I was keen to come and see a session. So I said to him, listen, do you mind if I come down? And on the way he said, listen, my, 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 um, my uh, assistant coach isn't, um, isn't coming tonight. Do you want to, do you want to help out? And I said, yeah, sure. That's fine. Now, I didn't tell him that was the first time I coached adults. Like that was the first time I coached Perfect. Um, people who didn't have to call me, sir. Uh, <laughs> after each, each one of my kind of rambling kind of, you know, nonsense things that I might say in a rugby pitch. Um, so I, I did that once or twice. And then later, later that year, he just said to me, listen, do you want to come down next year and, and get involved? So that would have been the summer of 2019. Um, so yeah, I, I've been. That's how I've been involved with them uh, since. So myself and Reese are are, are, are are kind of still plugging away there. So sweet. Based on what we've talked about in this uh, interview so far, what if someone was to come watch one of your sessions? What uh, what are they going to see? What's your favorite part part of the game to coach, and what 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 would your session look like? So, I think Reese and I. Um, are definitely we become very very interested in sort of like a session design uh, and kind of building building kind of uh, exercises games drills that kind of complement each other so they're working at a style of play we're trying to work at so at the moment we're looking at this idea of controlling speed so I become really interested in um, all the things in the game that influence the pace of the game okay so that could be an offload that could be a tackle where I get back to my feet. So right at the moment, we're kind of, it's what I'm calling a pogies, pace of game influences. Uh, so they, you'd see, if you came to a session, you'd see me sort of um, being very, very particular about how quickly our, our, our rook speed is or our ball presentation or our offload has to be in contact one-handed because if we do it where we just get touched and throw the ball, that's not realistic. So you'd see me sort of frantically looking at a sort of game um, 
and uh, it's nothing like what I've designed and me being uh, trying to be okay with that, I suppose, as best I can. Uh, <laughs> that's probably possibly maybe what you'd see. But uh, you'd also probably see me repeat certain phrases and, uh, and, and uh, questions maybe because one thing in my planning I think that I've gotten better at or certainly I'm paying a lot of attention to at the moment is what are the verbal cues or prompts for the stuff we're going to cover that will help them understand what I'm trying to say and will remind them. Uh, so as a teacher, this idea of recall and kind of drip feeding stuff through and coming back to it. So you would see me designing some sort of game, uh, maybe over the top or whatever, uh, looking at pace of game influences and, uh, you know, repeating some sort of strange phrase that makes sense to me and hopefully the players. Yeah, I think that's, that's cool. And, um, you know, well, you're creating your own acronyms. That's that's massive. Uh, <laughs> it's groundbreaking stuff. I, I always say to my students, um, you've got to use acronyms because it makes you sound smarter. Um, so, so you're well <laughs> on your way there. But I think that's really important. It's um, especially like, yeah, coach to player, uh, but also player to player. That that I, I ban the word communication. They're not. Allowed, I, I call it intel. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, com- communication just means I, I actually tell my players monkeys will communicate by throwing feces at each other. <laughs> so the word communication is is so broad and it doesn't actually tell us anything. So yeah. I call it intel. Um, and I've been working. It's, it's interesting you're t- talking about this because I've been working a lot on this in the last couple of years. Is when we're under stress, where we're fatigued, and we need to do something in defense, which is where I'm coaching right now. What are some simple words that everyone on the team knows that are one, two syllables max, and that we we get that that word out and we get a, the desired response from it? Um, so yeah, it's 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 a I think it's uh, underlooked at in in coaching in terms of um, its importance uh, in practice and but also in games. It, it's it's a um, it's an aspect of the game that I think coaches can definitely get it. I think you can get, it's a slower burn. It's maybe not as cool as it's harder to see. And I think because it's slower burn, people might lose patience with it, but actually I think you're going to see more people again, engaging with the language that they're using and whatnot in it. Um, I actually told the lads uh, at the HAC. So we call, we call a game of, of touch. We play where we're trying to, it's about speed controlling the pace of the game. I call it pogey touch for pace of game influences. So I told them that <laughs> I made up that Japan to get their speed of play before the 2019 World Cup, they played pogey touch. And because I just gave that to them, <laughs> they were like, oh, cool. Yeah, Japan played quick. That's fine. Yeah, let's go with it. But it actually just stands for pace of game influences. And I haven't had the heart to tell them since then. So oh, they'll find out if, uh, if any of uh, <laughs> the. Yeah, uh, avid listeners listen of, of, your, of your podcast. And <laughs> coming, back to, coming back to acronyms, there was a mate of mine who was a trained to be a doctor a few years ago. And he said, one of his first lectures, they walked in and said, you got to know your TLAs. And someone's like, puts up their hand going, what are TLAs? They got your three-letter acronyms. And I was like, right, okay, cool. So yeah, I, I fall into that trap as well. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's good. It's efficient and um, you get your point across um, and it's a collective understanding of, what, of what's required. So yeah, awesome. Um Another thing I was going to say about the acronyms too is you can you can tie some theming into it as well. You know, we'll, we'll get to theming in a minute, but let's let's talk about your blog, the Great White Sharky. Uh, I love it, best name. What, what was your what was your reasoning to to start up a blog? So, as as an English teacher, um, 
I spend a lot of time telling other kids how to write. Uh, and I am, I am their audience and I am, you know, uh, you know, I need to be pleased in many cases as to, you know, what they give me. And I'm like, no, this won't do, that won't do. So I kind of thought I'd put my money where my mouth is to a certain extent to kind of put my my neck on the line and write for real. So The Great White Sharky actually started out as a blog based off some kind of pundit work, uh, journalism stuff I was writing about rugby uh, for Pundit Arena. So I, I, I wrote a couple of articles for Pundit Arena um, one in which I suggested that Ireland had nothing to fear of the All Blacks in Chicago, which uh, somehow Perfect. came true. So, yeah, uh, yeah, someone was trying to say, oh, that's some sort of insight. All, all I said in the article is that, like, we got to stop deifying these guys. If we keep talking like they're gods, then, you know, we'll never beat them. Um, and someone thought that it was a tip off that I said we were going to win. It, not quite, but so yeah, off the back it, of something. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> so, off the back of some of that punditry stuff, I said, you know, I'm going to write my own stuff. I'm going to write see again who listens, you know, me typing into the void, uh, <laughs> quite a bit of that. But it's set up as, as a result of that. But what I found, Andy, is that um, I was writing punditry stuff and all I was doing was just repeating other people's ideas, stuff I heard on shows. Uh, and it just felt like a kind of, I was typing up stuff like I'd heard down the pub that I was just regurgitating. And I was trying to find a way to express it in a new way or think differently. And I kind of hit a bit of a dead end with it. So I, I dropped it for a while. And then I found the best way to kind of express maybe what I was doing in coaching. So I was like, well, no one is doing what I'm doing in coaching. Why don't I just write about that? So I started writing about some of the masculinity um, project stuff, which which I did started up a few years ago. And I thought, you know what, this would be a way to... Um, I'm creating content for other people to engage with and other people can, can give me feedback on it and can tell me what, you know, what they think about it. Uh, and as you say, like an informal way to sort of, to develop. So that's, that's the background of it. Um, that, yeah, that, that's how it kind of started up. So a, a kind of failed punditry. Uh, mm. I didn't know enough about the game uh, to comment on it originally. So I just had to write about my own experiences. Oh, cool. That's awesome. And, you know, one of one of the ones that I, I looked at uh, that that really piqued my interest was around theming and and creating themes, uh, whether it be weekly or for seasons. Um, can you talk a little bit about that that article there? What 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 got you going with that? So uh, we, we we've kind of mentioned some of the stuff already about kind of language and, and how you might maybe shape uh, terminology, coach to coach, coach to player, player to player. Um, and, and as an, as you know, as I said, as, as a teacher, um, language has been something that I've been really, really interested in. And, and I actually originally came across theming as a way to do that. Um, so that was, to me, that's what it was going to be. It's a way that we can capture some of the words and phrases. Let's create an identity for ourselves so much so that we can use our own language. That that's That's where I came to it with. And actually, what I think is, is that that's now a strand of theming, as I see it, in a much broader sense. So um, I've done, uh, yeah, I, I've done, spent the last few years looking at a few different themes. So the first one I did was was Project Apollo, which looked at the um, the Apollo 11 mission to land on the moon. Uh, I did that with a schoolboy team. Then we did a, a Shackleton uh Ernest Shackleton uh, endurance in the in the Antarctic for the HAC who were trying to survive that year, uh, the second half of the season relegation. And now currently with the HAC, and we spent the last year because we haven't had games, but we've had lots of training. We've embedded our, our new theme, which is uh, looking at Ayrton Senna. 
So this ties into our idea of speed and playing at speed. Now, regularly when people talk about speed is that, so when we talk about sound, people think, oh, you want to go as quickly as possible. But then you're like, no, no, we got to control our speed. Like, <laughs> So it's not so much about uh, playing as fast as we can. There's times when we want to do that, but actually what's our braking like, you know, uh, how are we going to manage our fuel or whatnot? So there's different ways, I suppose, that we can package some of the things that we're doing uh, with theming. So that's the sort of stuff I've been exploring. So about a year ago, after I finished the Shackleton theme, uh, I'd, I'd written up all my stuff on the Great White Sharky, uh, on Apollo, and then Shackleton. And then I kind of, what I realized from engaging with coaches is that people were like, oh, this is this is cool, but how do you pick stories or how do you do this or how will this apply to me? And so I kind of went, okay, from doing two themes, what would be the framework you would use to build this from scratch? What's the framework I'm going to use for a new theme? So I was thinking of Senna at the time, but I was like, cool. So I need a framework here. We can't just go, oh, just crack on with Senna and see what happens. I was like, if I was to explain this to someone who's never done this before, like if they like theming, but they don't know where to start, what are some of the things I could ask them to do? So I wrote up a framework um, that, uh, yeah, about, geez, about 13, yeah, last May. Um, and it exploded. Like um, people were contacting me from all over uh, the world in all sorts of sports or whatnot, reaching out saying, the article was cool. Can I ask you a few more questions about it or whatnot? Um, and that's kind of when I saw that this is a this is a really interesting way for people to present um, to present again what they're trying to do. And I think it's a way to create a team identity. Um, and I, I don't like as much as language is a part of theming. I think it's a, it, it's a as I said, it's just that part of it. But I see it as a kind of tool to create more cohesion between your teams. Uh, between the groups of people again that you play with or, or kind of work alongside, um, and to a, and again, please, any any of your listeners who are sports psychs, I've been desperately trying to connect with sports psychs to give me some sort of research or background into this. But I see theming as a, a possibly, if you want to use it this way, as a kind of sort of uh, psychological periodization, where basically you're trying to prime people for certain bits of this story or certain bits of this theme. How you're gonna uh, how you're gonna um, respond to setback or failure what are you going to do in this certain situation like it's trying to get us ready for those moments and if you know your story well enough you know your theme well enough uh, i think you can do that so uh it's been really exciting and a fairly novel way to to uh to coach over the last while yeah cool no it sounds it sounds really interesting i uh, just just thinking of you know um some of the guests i've had on the show um michael checker did a lot of stuff like this with uh especially with the waratahs well, and the wallabies as well where you know they tie in you know different themes or different family stories or um he did an activity where it's like you present your family tree and mm. things like that and i think the crusaders do some pretty cool stuff as well if i'm not mistaken they were the ones who i realized were first doing it so um i first heard about first. The- yeah. <laughs> I heard about um I heard about them theming from their Muhammad Ali theme back when they first won their Super Rugby title. Uh so that's a good few years ago now. And it was it was Scott Robertson and Ron Agar talking about it on a on a podcast show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I think I might have heard that. Yeah. That's the ten the ten fourteen, an Irish guy and a Kiwi. Yeah, and yeah. Those, yeah, those guys. yeah. Yeah. But basically they were talking about it and they spoke about all this stuff they did. And I I had done that work on masculinity the year before and 
I was looking for a way to kind of, rather than those being like, oh, this isn't really connected. Is there a way we could tie this together? And theming kind of could fit that. And I was also thinking about language. So I heard this and went, oh, this could be interesting. And then I was thinking, now I need to decide what a theme is. Uh, and lo and behold, I was listening to a podcast about Apollo 11. And I was like, this might work. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the Crusaders have been doing it for a while. I know that... Um, it wasn't Scott Robertson who first did it. I know that uh, Wayne Smith apparently uh, did it to Robertson when he was a, a player and he did the Battle of Thermopylae, which is the 300, the Spartans holding off the, the 300 yeah, uh, yeah, I remember soldiers the story, holding yeah. off the, the, the million Spartans, apparently. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, million mm-hmm. uh, Persians uh, at the Gates of gates of Fire, I think is what it's known as. So. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. And you, you mentioned that framework. What, what, how how's that framework operate if, if coaches were, were looking to explore theming in their own environments? So the big thing I – like the reason I kind of came up with the framework wasn't just because coaches were saying, oh, I like what you've done, but I don't know what I would do. It was actually partially because people were saying, oh, Apollo, that's awesome. I'm going to do Apollo. And I stopped and went, what, Why? Or someone heard me talk about Shackleton and some of the cool stuff. Like there was some really cool moments in the Shackleton one. As much as it was a, uh, it was a se- it was, you know, ultimately we didn't get the chance to finish out the season because of COVID and we got relegated. Uh, I still think we had cool experiences and memories. And for me, that's what a, a huge part of it is about. But as I said before, I wouldn't have done Apollo with the the, uh, the HAC boys, and I wouldn't have done Shackleton with the uh, the school kids. So for me, what story you choose is important. So. It was more me trying to check coaches to say, listen, stop. Why do you want to do this? You think this sounds cool or whatever, but what happens if, you know, you're, you're not winning? Do you abandon your theme? Like, because I was going to stick with it because I thought about which, which story I wanted. So there was a few things that I think that were important. So the first thing was is that find a story that you belong to, you know, or your, your, your group belongs to. So find something that's going to resonate with them. Um, so depending on who, who it is that's in front of you, um, you know, find out what, what'll, you know, make them tick, you know, ask them in advance, you know, what, what they're interested in, find out. So before the Senna uh, stuff we did, and the lads knew we were probably onto something in the HAC, uh, we found out who all the F1 nuts were in the club. And we did that simply by going, has anyone seen Drive to Survive on Netflix? And the boys who shot up going, oh, it's amazing. We're like, cool, these are maybe our cultural architects who will be able to help us with the theme. <laughs> nice. So you kind of bounce, you bounce a few ideas around with, with guys like that. That's, a, that's a, an underhand maybe way to do it. But the framework would be find a story um, that you belong to, find landmarks in the story, key characters or key events that are going to resonate. So in Apollo, uh, a key character for us was uh, Michael Collins, the third man of Apollo 11 who doesn't set foot in the moon. Uh, and he embodied that, you know, self selflessness, that sacrifice, that making others shine that we wanted to promote um, in, in that story. And, um, you know, find a story that there's characters or values that you want to reflect. Like, do you want to promote this person? Um, sure, they're a great whatever, but are they a good person? And are you going to make that distinction clear where people might misunderstand it? So find uh, values uh, that underpin your story uh, and then find some totems maybe that might bring it to life. Find like what physical object might kind of help you. So the Crusaders under uh, Robertson O'Gara use boxing gloves to symbolize Muhammad Ali. Um, I know later when they did a, they did a uh, Golden State Warriors theme, they put on the, 
the ski mask goggles for like celebrations. They like bought these and stuff, yeah, and they the had like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty confident they're gonna win. To be fair, so maybe yeah. that's all right. Uh, but right like on. they bought like you know basketball singlets. So those would be totems that can bring it to life mm. for you. Um, you can use a language. You can consider what those things are. Um, and again, there's other stuff there that um, that I, I suppose I I talk about a little bit more on my um, on my posts about theming uh, on, on on my website. But the big thing for me is that you don't have to go all in with the theme. So you can dial it up or dial it down. And it doesn't like if you're doing the theme. If your theme is at you know is turned up to eleven all of the time, right? every day that you're there, you're going to burn them out, especially if you see them a lot. Now, you find moments where you're going to talk up the theme and it's going to be big and we're going to have lots of totems and we're going to talk about the story. And then there's other days where it's not that present and it's kind of lower down. So for me, find that emotional pitch. It's kind of like you're not going to do contact all the time. Uh, sorry, maybe there are some coaches out there who are still doing contact Hopefully not. You know, all the time, uh, <laughs> every chance they get. But <laughs> it's a bit like that kind of conditioning uh, in the sense of, you know, find, you know, guess the kind of mood of the group, what they need, you know, is now the time to keep talking about Shackleton? Maybe not. Uh, <laughs> let's maybe give it a breather for uh, for this evening. So, um, yeah, that's some, some of the ideas, again, around it that I sort of rushed through there. No, that's cool. And I think, uh, well, I'll put, firstly, I'll put the, the links in the show notes to your to your blog, but I think it's also, it's great for, for coaches to, to, you know, express their own creativity and, and, and some ideas that are outside of, you know, the standard X's and O's of uh, session planning. All right. One of the other articles that really popped out to me was uh, one that you talk about fostering empathy it's one that I think is is really important what what was your what was your backstory there in terms of why why you wrote that and what were some of the big messages in that one so being an English teacher I used to think that um, there was something quite narcissistic about reading and this is like, bear with me on this so basically like books that I read that really sort of resonated with me, I had to make it about me. It was how I felt about it as the experience. And I had to identify with the characters. I had to see the world from their perspective. But actually, it was more about maybe crafting a sense of empathy. Like I could see the world through other people's perspectives. And literature allows you to do that. And the more stories we hear about people, I think the more chance we have to do that. So for me as a teacher, that became something that was quite important to me. This idea of if I'm teaching literature to kids, this is a chance for me to get them to step outside of themselves and see the world from someone else's perspective, which hopefully then when they're back in themselves, they can get a greater appreciation. So that's, that's one part of it. How did I bring that into rugby? Um, that project, which I did on, on redefining masculinity, um, that was, if I wanted, uh, and sorry, that looked at um, mental health, emotional well-being, and gender dynamics in sports. Those are the three core areas that I wanted to look at. So this kind of, this predates the theming stuff that I've done. Um, and when I was doing this and when I was kind of trying to get, you know, players I was working, I was talking about mental health. There's no point in me just talking about it unless I create an environment that is going to be empathetic. So that's, that's not an easy thing to do. So how do you, how do you kind of foster that? So we had conversations about it. We tried to define it. We used uh, some of Brenny Brown's um, work on how you, what, what, what's the difference between sympathy and empathy. Um, and we might call it out if we saw it or we saw someone who wasn't being empathetic. If I wasn't being empathetic, for example, they might call me out on it. So that's sort of the idea where we got to with it. But 
for me, so many people think that you have to, you have to have gone through the same experience as someone else. Um, and I don't think that's, that's true. The best way I, I think I could capture, I think what m- mostly what empathy is for me is compassionate acknowledgement. It's being heard. Like people just want to be heard. And whatever it is they're frustrated with, it's like I'm so guilty of trying to fix stuff all the time. So a student comes to me and I'm trying to fix it because they want it, you know, they, they need this or their whatever it is, or a player comes to me and they want this. And, and, and I'm trying to go like, well, hang on, have you done this? Have you done that? Oh, we can't fix it. Oh, it's, so rather than that, it's actually just going, that's crap. I, I don't know what to say. That, that's awful. Um, I don't know what we can do about this, but I'm glad you told me. You know, that, that's a that's compassionate uh, acknowledgement that I would argue. And that was something we tried to foster uh, in a rugby environment uh, as best we could. Uh, and how successful it was, uh, we'll have to find out when we uh, we bump into those players in a few years' time. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's it's got to be really challenging um, because I know I've, I've been in some great environments. I've been in some other environments that aren't, aren't great and there wasn't, <laughs> there was not a lot of empathy. And I think, I, I don't know, I think maybe the nature of the sport as well in that it's a, a physical combative sport and that you're meant to be tough, whatever that, that description is, yeah. um, might lead to the fact that some of those environments aren't very empathetic. There's, um, there's two lads in the HAC, um, who set up their own podcast, All Chats Pod, um, and they talk about their mental health hiccups on that show. They interview people, they, they bring them on to talk about their experiences of mental health awesome. and whatnot. And that's a great, like, so when I've spoken to them, I've said, and as you've just said, like rugby has this, this image that it is, it's macho, it's tough, and it's bottle up your feelings and whatnot. But why can't, a rugby dressing room, be it an empathetic environment. What, what, why? What's to stop it being that? Because those two boys prove that they met in a rugby club. They have a few points afterwards, and they realised that actually they had been through some struggles uh, that they confided in and helped each other out and thought, you know what? Let's so off this. They've set up this podcast where they have these conversations. Like, I'm not saying everyone has to go out and start a podcast, but there's opportunities for connection and empathy that we're maybe missing all the time. So why can't a sports environment be a, an empathetic environment where people, if they wish and if they feel comfortable and if they have those proper connections, can can open up and share and seek help if they need it? Yeah, I think it's crucial to, especially for younger kids uh, with with social media as, as prevalent and as invasive as it is, um, there's, there's no empathy on social media. Um, so they need it in in real life connections with with their with their fellow players and and their coaches and teachers. I think that's a really good point about social media um, because social media is something they go often. I'm sorry, they. I say they. I mean me as well. Like we go to feel validated to see how many likes or clicks or whatever it is. Like we get this sentiment and maybe we go there also seeking empathy or, or being open. And that's not always what we get because it's such a, it's such, it's such a dangerous forum where, you know, it could go so, uh, go, go awry. So how do we, in the environments in which we, we work, be it school, coaching, whatever sport you're involved in, drama, dance, who knows, 
how can we create more empathetic environments and better forums for people to share who they are, acknowledge when they're they're down, for you to acknowledge again when you're down and not feeling great or when you're fantastic. Um, I don't know. I just think the big the big motivation behind that was that I just thought I looked at rugby and thought we can do better. I can do better. Um, that was that was the rationale behind it. All right, that's great. Um, you know, like I said, I will put the links. Uh, in the show notes, um, I'll also throw up a link to to the the podcast of your your team, uh, your players there. I think it's a great <laughs> initiative that they're doing there. So if anyone wants to check They'll that out, appreciate that, mate. That's very kind. Yeah, uh, awesome. Um, and yeah, people should definitely check out the Great White Sharky. You got some good stuff there on, uh, like you've mentioned, masculinity, uh, and also there's one on confessions of a women's rugby novice, uh, which is a good read as well. So some homework for listeners there. All right, uh, before we wrap things up, uh, you recently started a side project based on based on your blog, based on the theming activity called Team Architecture. You're looking to support coaches and teams to create you know more cohesion and richer experience. Experiences. Can you talk a little bit about that and how, how that's progressing and if people wanted to reach out? Yeah, so this is this is kind of hot off the press in the sense that uh, I've only sort of um, I've only sort of recently kind of got myself uh, sorted to, to start this going. But yeah, so based off some of the work I've done with with uh, sports teams uh, and some of the work I've done, especially around theming, I've set up my own. Uh, my own uh, sort of company, which is Team Architecture Limited. And that looks at, again, connection, collaboration and cohesion amongst the the sporting or the work teams uh, that we all sort of work in day to day. Um, And the reason that's kind of come about is that off the back of um, some of the work that I'd written on the connections between uh, between groups of people or whatnot, um, as I said, I had lots of kind of coaches from around the world contact me and in cricket and GA and football and hockey, um, field hockey, I think, not necessarily uh, ice hockey. Thank um, you. Or, or real hockey, is, uh, as you now call it. <laughs> um, but yeah, basketball, boxing, like lots of coaches uh, kind of reaching out to me. And they were very interested in theming. And for me, I see theming as a, as a way to create cohesion and connection. So I've ended up working uh, with, a, with a, uh, a rugby coach uh, this past year um and i've been designing uh, a theme for 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 him to implement um with with his group of players and that's been a fascinating sort of experience because i've done it myself but how do i actually design it for someone else so part of that is the theming that we do we kind of assess the 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 club and the players and the individuals and what they want and their ambitions and and where they're trying to get to and how the theme might link into that. We looked at presentations, pre-match, post-match. We looked at their use of language. Um, So with all of that, I kind of decided that actually this is something that, you know, that they've got a huge amount of uh, benefit out of. I've loved doing it. So it's definitely something that I'm looking to kind of connect with other coaches to do as well. So uh, be that kind of, coaching or mentoring or observations to sort of, um, you know, give people, uh, you know, my feedback or kind of outside perspective uh, or designing some kind of key messaging or whatnot. That's, that's sort of what team architecture uh, is going to be all about. Awesome. Sounds exciting. And if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? So probably to get me on Twitter at the moment at at teaching sharks, um, or the great white sharky, uh, com, my blog, uh, which has got a serious amount of, uh, publicity tonight, mate. You're way too kind. Uh, and I'll set up social media for, for team architecture when I, when I figure out how to use, uh, Instagram, I'm sure. <laughs> 
Perfect. Yeah, I'm still I'm still struggling with it. My Instagram <laughs> game is just embarrassing. But uh, Canva, Canva is your friend. Uh, I've worked out. Um, so mm. anyhow, I'm I'm still a insta novice. All right. Well, let's wrap things up with the the final four questions. When you were a kid growing up in Ireland, once your Irish dancing career uh, <laughs> went into decline and you moved over to rugby, who are who are some of those first players that, that really drew you in? Michael Flatley. No, I can't say Irish dancing. Ah. So, uh, do you know what? It, it was the it was the '95 World Cup, and it's not the winger you're thinking of. Uh, mm-hmm. It was Chester Williams uh, yeah, for, the, for the Springboks. Yeah, Lomu amazing. was such a colossus, and he literally ran over Ireland uh, in a group game. Although I think we went up in that game, uh, we scored first. And as someone said, that was the worst thing to do because you just pissed them off. Um, but yeah, no, Chester Williams, I don't know. And the fact that they won uh, and his story is is so kind of interesting and fascinating in a, a national story that was unfolding. Um, he was definitely someone I sort of looked at and went, wow, that was, that, that, that's, that, he's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And he's... Uh... Yeah, like like you said, the time um, that it was in South African history, uh, he, him and that team uh, played a massive part. Awesome. What about now? Who are some of the players you like watching? I really like watching players who are pushing the fringes of their position or what we think they can do. Um, I mean, Antoine Dupont is obviously, he's changing how we see number nines and support play. He's unbelievable. Um, Levani Batia in the centre for La Rochelle is a bit of a, bit of a monster who's actually a back rower who now plays 12. Um, And then a bit closer to home, uh, Tyke Byrne, uh, who's back rower for for Munster Ireland and fingers crossed the Lions. I think he's doing some pretty cool stuff. All right. And the third question, what about coaches? Who are some of the high profile coaches you like, how they, they go about their business? So there's there's two coaches here that I'm particularly uh, interested in for two kind of different reasons. Uh, Giselle Mather, who's the uh, head coach of Wasp uh, Wasps Ladies uh, in the uh, in the women's premiership uh, over here, is someone who whenever I've heard her talk, um, she's just she's impressed me. Um, how she creates an environment. She was the first level four uh, female coach in the UK. Uh, she coached out at Teddington uh, for years and came in and coached men's side. So I just think what she does is, is hugely impressive. And uh, I think what they're doing uh, at Wasps is pretty cool. Uh, they ran Quinns fairly close in their semi this year uh, and Quinns went on to win it. So um, yeah, I, I think she's, she's very admirable. Uh, and then the other one is Dan McKellar, who's obviously the Brumbies um, coach for the last few years and the Wallabies forwards coach. Um, yeah, just recently announced, yeah. So, uh, Dan, sorry, so the Brumbies are very, very close to my heart because when I was in school, um, my coach was an Aussie and he was a Canberra boy and we used to watch a lot of the the kind of old school Brumbies oh, uh, yeah, stuff. that 2000 kind of era team. Yeah. Unreal. So a lot of our, a lot of our plays were named after... Uh, you know, Larkham or Gregan or Roth or whatnot. So um, they've always uh, kind of had a place in my heart. And I think the way the Brumbies have gone the last number of years, I, I like what Dan McKellar, I like what he kind of stands for. I like what he's trying to do. He's obviously got support there with Laurie Fisher there behind him. But uh, he's someone I, I hugely admire. Uh, and he did a stint in Ireland. So, uh, yeah, that's another reason to like him. Yeah, yeah, of course. Where, where in Ireland was he? Was he in Munster? No, he went to, no, no. So he went to like some... Uh, he went to like Wicklow RFC who are some yeah, junior he's, club right his, his coaching pathway is interesting he hasn't just like stepped in and gone okay here I am it's, it's been a, a journey so that's a, that's a good one to see as well 
he, he went to Japan, I think then for a while. And he was going to, I think he was literally typing up an email to say, can I have my job back at whatever he was doing? And then Laurie Fisher said, do you want to come in and give it a go? So yeah, he, yeah he's, he's an interesting guy. Awesome. Yeah, definitely one I want to want to hit up for a chat. All right, and final question, uh, who's someone in the grassroots who's doing really cool stuff and deserves some recognition and uh, a shout-out? So I, I can't really look beyond um, Reese Davies, uh, who I coached at the HAC with. Right. So Reese works for the RFU, formerly of, of London Irish, and he's he challenges me an awful lot in in what I do. He asks really good questions. He he sees the game in a pretty cool way. He's got the best uh, interests of people uh, at heart. So he, he's someone again who's who, who's great. And also, uh, Charlotte Fredrickson has come on board with us this year, and it's been great to have her her insight. Uh, she used to play for uh, Saracens women's uh, women's team and. She sees the game in a different way to us. And I think that, as I said, she challenges us uh, and provokes us to, to look at things differently. So, so Reese and Charlotte are, are great people to work alongside. Awesome. Great to have a team of coaches that is diverse and uh, brings brings all different things to the table. It just makes the, the whole environment much better. All right. Well, uh, it's been awesome chatting with you uh, about your coaching journey and the blog and, and your new endeavors. So just want to thank you for giving up your time and, and coming on the show for a chat. No worries, mate. As I said, you know, this has been a, this has definitely been a, a resource that I've got so much from and it's a big part of the, the journey that I'm on. Um, so no, thank you. Awesome. And uh, my pleasure. And uh, maybe in real life, we'll share a pint one day. Happy to. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Perfect. for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.